Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is a man who loves seeing the lizard trying to kill Spider-Man, my bloodthirsty friend, Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? I'm doing just fine, and I would like to see the lizard finally get Spider-Man since it was a weak showing last time around. And you know how I like my, my monstrous villains. Yeah, well, this is a good time for monsters since the uh, Comics Code Authority just completely folded like a house of cards and now everybody can do whatever they want so false power all over the place they had nothing (laughs) (laughs) um i have no good segue from that (laughs) (laughs) all right james let's get into it amazing spider-man number 102 vampire at large morbius and the lizard are fighting over who gets to kill spidey uh i i think there should be a game that all the villains play called who wants to kill spider-man more It'd be a fun, like, board game for them. I think the Goblin would win. (laughs) All right. Having recently been knocked out by Morbius, a groggy Spidey watches as Morbius fights and knocks out the lizard. He is quick to suck a small amount of the incapacitated lizard's blood. Instead of fighting Spidey, Morbius decides to fly off. The lizard awakes, and because of Morbius's bite, now has the mind of Doc Connors, but remains in physical lizard form. He transforms further into a half-human, half-lizard body and loses his arm. Um, James B., arms have been major plot points for quite a while now. Do you think we're going to talk about anyone else's arm soon? The reason that they have to show his arm disappearing, Eddie, is because Spider-Man wants his extra arms to disappear. And it's like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> you know, the I have a solution to my problem right here. No, the the big deal here completely is this: is that Doc Connors, he's mostly human with some lizard scales. I've never seen this version of him before, the the hybrid version of him. Yeah, it's really wild. He's like aggressively oscillating both like within his mind and his physical form between like a lizard state and Doc Connors state. And it's interesting later when he like, he's like, we need to do this quickly because like he feels more lizardish. He can kind of tell. Really fascinating, but I, you know, it doesn't last that long. Most of the issue, he is in the traditional looking lizard yeah, form. That's true, but he has Doc Connor's mind for most of the issue, also, even though he's in right. lizard form. But right now, he does have the human scales for a few pages, and yes. and I and I hadn't seen that before. Well, it, the transformation doesn't last long because he changes into his lizard body, but retains Doc Connor's mind, although it's unstable. Spidey and Connors concoct a serum using the enzyme from Morbius, but they must find a well-hidden roosting Morbius to complete the concoction. Uh, they're not going to have a problem finding a well-hidden Morbius because Spider-Man threw one of those stupid spider trackers that I completely hate. Oh, I, I wondered about that. Thank you, James B. The book completely changes here. It becomes like a the Morbius origin story for the entire second part. Cool. It's basically, well, Morbius sleeps... We see his entire backstory in his dreams. Uh, Michael Morbius is a Nobel Prize winning scientist from Europe with a rare blood disease, which is killing him. He charters a boat to test his scientific equipment. Accompanied by his assistant, Nikos, and his love, Martine, they sail into the ocean together where Nikos electroshocks Morbius in an attempt to create blood cells. Mixed with the vampire bat blood in his system, Morbius turns into a vampire and uncontrollably strangles Nikos. Fearing he will go after Martine next, he dives in the ocean, attempting suicide. 
but eventually he's picked up by a passing freighter. I like this backstory. It's a good story. I have a lot of comic books, Eddie, that are not like uh, superhero comics. I really went out as a kid. I really enjoyed the scary, uh, like Ripley's Believe It or Not horror type story comics. I have a couple of these, and this would have fit right in with that. Yeah, there's so many dark themes for this backstory. You know, we see the vampire bat. We see him turning into a vampire, killing his assistant, and then attempting suicide. I mean, this is... This is a lot of stuff that we have not really seen in Spider-Man before. So big, big different direction with the character of Morbius. And it's exciting and frightening at the same time. I think if they could go back and make some changes to this, there's some obvious changes that I would I would write in for sure. And I think I think a lot of people would. First of all, he he strangles Nikos. Yes. What? You're a vampire. You realize you're a vampire. <laughs> He strangles him and then goes, oh, no, I killed Nikos. He has to, he'd have to definitely, you know, bite him, right? Do you agree? I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like it's it's so early after his transformation. Like the, I credited this as he hasn't really fully become a vampire yet. So I don't know. But yes, I agree. It would have been better. Secondly, he does this thing where he starts thinking about Martine and then he's thinking, oh, you know, I'm thinking about her. And then he starts thinking about her like warm blood and realizes, oh, no, I need to leave. I think it would be better if she sees him like as a vampire, you know, and then mm. and then like he like has like the bloody fangs and he dives into the thing like that whole that whole section was missing. This whole like I'm going to just d- go suicide myself. No, no. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, it kind of completes the horror circle. So it adds more fright. I guess you can only do so much when they lift the comics code, right? (laughs) Probably. Well, um, we move on from the backstory to part three. Uh, The issue takes us back to the present day where Spidey is swinging through the city with the lizard hanging on to him. Doc Connors is losing his mind to the lizard, giving Spider-Man a further sense of urgency. Can I uh, interrupt here for a second? Sure. Um, there's reports that there's this like, you know, multi-armed beast with a giant tail flying monster flying through the city because they show the shadow of six armed (laughs) Spider-Man with the lizard, uh, tail. And they like, as if it's one beast because the lizard's (laughs) getting dragged along by Spider-Man. Yes, it's it, it. These things should be. I felt these things should be taken very seriously, considering <laughs> the, all the things that go on. Um, if if it had been a giant uh, beast, Eddie, um, it might have been like when you referenced that the scorpion could do a, a tigger move with his springtail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe we could have had them bouncing on the <laughs> ground using Spider-Man's arms and the spring from the tail and the webs. This would have been quite a team they could make. Well, what a reference, James B. <laughs> We have a brief interlude where we see Gwen unable to find Peter and a worried Aunt May followed quickly by a downtrodden J. Jonah Jameson. The bugle is going out of business, and it's all because of TV. Um, Spidey and the lizard catch up to Morbius eventually. They manage to pin Morbius down and put some of his blood into the serum. Uh, There's a lot of talk of blood in this book, but did you see any blood? We're going to, after this in the same podcast, we're going to talk about the 1989 what if issue uh, that's related to this. 
there's blood in that book, but there's none in this book. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting that there, you know, we saw in the previous book with the introduction of Morbius, he, he killed many people, lots of pe- the crew members on the boat that he got picked up by, and he's killed several people in this book too, the last being whoever woke him up from his roost, that poor guy. And Stan's willing to push the limits here. He's pushing them big time, I think, with this kind of horror monster theme, but not so much to include blood, which I would say is the primary theme of the whole book. Well, two things there. One, Stan's not pushing the limits. It's Roy Thomas. Ah, thank you, James B. Two, yeah, and two, the the Comics Code Authority, we, we joke about them, but, you know, they probably were like, okay, you can have monsters, but... You can't have blood and gore. Probably and a negotiation in there somewhere. Yeah, well, Spider-Man's never had blood in any single comic up until now. Why does he suddenly need it? You know, so. All right, all right. Uh, Doc Connors takes the serum, and it immediately changes him back to full human form. Morbius grabs the vial and flies off. Spidey gives chase and eventually knocks him into the water and recovers the vial. He goes back to Connors, where he drinks the vial and loses his extra arms. At the end, they stoically stand together and contemplate Morbius's death. Uh, that's it. Sorry, Morbius. He only lasted two issues. We'll never see him again, right? Yep. He's dead, dead, undead, and dead. He's gone. <laughs> well, I was really struck. We, I know we used to do our shocking panels. Well, for me, there were three extremely shocking panels in this book. Did you pick up on any shocking panels? I have my book closed, but if you tell me where they are, I'll, I'll follow. Okay, let me you. tell you. Oh, wait. Uh, good podcasting again here. Uh, on page 17, there's two panels that have Morbius in them, and they're shocking to me because there is no narration. There is no talking. There are no thought bubbles. And I was like, my mind like became so still. I'm like, I got really extra nervous <laughs> because I don't think that's happened before. It doesn't jump to mind. And then there's just one more, too, which I really thought brought home the drama of the situation. On page 27, we see Gwen, like, in a kind of a distant shot, crying in her apartment as she can't figure out what happened to Peter. So The distant shot Gwen panel also struck me because it was also shot, it's not a vertical shot. It's at a, like, one thirty o'clock shot. It's got, like, a... Angled again, huh? A slant to it, which I thought, yeah, um... I was distracted by the, the new drawings of Gwen and Aunt May and everybody else. You know, the it's it is big changes. Very different. Uh, I'm sure everybody else is used to these Spider Man's changing all the time, but for you and I, you know, we we've only been fortunate to have only a few artists do this book. Mm-hmm. The uh, the other panels on page twenty, by the way, that you were talking about, they're Morbius creeping in the dark. You know, like going down some stairs. It's, it's so profound because. Uh, it just it it brings imagination to the reader you know like you you think about what morbius is thinking of and the artistry is it's excellent here it's like it's like he pauses to think i don't know if i should go through with with this experiment you know like what if it doesn't work out well and like i feel like as a reader i could think of what lines could have gone in those panels but like it left my imagination to fill it in and i i just really liked it a lot well you know in the marvel method is different than the DC method. Uh-huh. Um, the artist gets like, hey, here's what the story's about, you know, like a page. They uh-huh. told him like, it, all, it tells what the story's about. And then the artist draws all the panels. Oh. And then the writer comes back and he adds the lines. So 
Interesting. He, I did not know that. So you could say the artist drew that, but the the yeah puts more work on the artist, mm-hmm. uh, makes the art gives the right makes it easier on the writer, gives the artist sort of like the creativity to tell the story. But yeah, the Marvel and DC are different that way. Wow, um, fascinating. So, yeah. Wow. So even more, you know, change it. And I think we've said it before. I remember way back when we had. Um, uh, Zach on our podcast, the expositional nature. I guess we were on his podcast, the expositional nature of Stanley. He can't stand not explaining everything going on. And here we got our new writer. We got Roy Thomas writing this one, and he just leaves it to mystery. Yeah, Roy Thomas is writing the issue because Stanley's not available. Really? Yeah, he's out. Um, he's just a right hand editor, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, he just said, like, you know, go go get a costume villain. I'm busy working on some science fiction movie or something like that. So he just wasn't around. Huh. And, uh, yeah, so Thomas really, he's the one who created this whole thing. And, uh, you know, he he had remembered, uh, I had read that he had remembered that he saw a movie where a man turned into a vampire using radiation. And oh. he wanted to try to steal that idea when he was doing the superhero. Wow, really fascinating. Well, I think we could take a minute here to talk about uh, Roy Thomas's writing and how it, it like really embodies Spider-Man from the past and moves away from what we've been seeing recently. Um, is it okay? You want to hear some similarities that I think in this book are? Sure. All right, James B. Similarities. This is a three-part series, like very early Spider-Man. This writing is much more dense. We get a lot of kind of information, I feel. Um, there's an introduction of a new villain. We really haven't seen one in, like, a solid new villain. Um, Spidey holds a test tube. I was super happy to see that. And we have many dated references. Um, some of the differences... Well, hold on. Of those, sorry, of those similarities... Yeah. Which is the one you think made this a really good story. Which one? I I liked hearkening back to the past with the new villain, I guess. I, you know... this Morbius feels like a really solid good well-rehearsed villain so i'm happy to have him great okay let's hear those differences now differences we don't jump so abruptly from panel to panel like uh this is a significantly more spooky book uh i think there's a lot more advanced character development we didn't talk about it but this interplay between doc connors and michael morbius both being scientists i like how this kind of dovetails together in the story and the biggest difference is we have not seen very much from Gwen or Aunt May or Jay Jonah in a while. Like, there just isn't around. Peter's world is kind of missing from these, this Spider-Man. Yeah, you've seen nothing of, essentially, Flash and Betty, you know. They're and, gone. And uh, MJ, you haven't seen her in a bit, right? Um, Harry isn't, wasn't even in this issue. He, I mean, he has, he's in the hospital, I suppose, right? I mean, but he we, wasn't in the last couple issues. Yeah, we we have special features just about them and no more. I, that that disappoints me. Um, do you know what doesn't disappoint me? What's that? That we have a sponsor. <laughs> All right, <laughs> bring on the sponsor, Eddie. In the competitive serum business. You might think, oh, I have to buy all my serums from Master Planner Consultants. But that's not the case. You can now get your serums from Michael's Serum Group. Uh, that's formerly Michael and Nico's Serum Group. Uh, here is what you can expect. You want to grow hair? There's a serum for that. You want to stay awake longer, Eddie? There's a serum for that. 
Want to lose a limb? Want to gain a limb or four? Yeah, you can do that too. Michael's Serum Group, or MSG, is not dangerous. There's a popular misconception that MSG is particularly bad for your health. MSG <laughs> is generally regarded as safe in moderation by the FDA and other expert and other expert organizations. Google it. It's right there on the internet. Want to know how Olympic-level athlete Craven the Hunter really gets his enhanced strength, speed, and stamina? He doesn't just approve this product. He's also a client. MSG, when you want to intensify and enhance yourself. So, Eddie, are you going to pick up some MSG yourself, or are you going to have an Uber bellhop bring you some this weekend? The competitive serum industry, huh? Um, you know... <laughs> I'm having a hard time focusing here because this this sponsor feels like one of the biggest dad jokes I've heard in a while. We are not talking about monosodium glutamate, glutamate or whatever. That is. I'm not really sure what that is. I uh, because I got a little confused through there. So just to clear, just to clarify, we're talking about serums by Michael. Michael Serum Group, yeah. Formerly Mike, it was formerly Michael's and Nico Serum Group. I'm not sure if you're familiar it's, with the it's product. Pretty, it's, a, it's associated with something that's pretty bad for people to eat regularly. <laughs> Actually, it's regarded as safe in moderation by the FDA and other expert organizations. You can Google it. All right. Well, you know. That I just is, want to know, you know, you're going to use the Uber Bellhop service or are you just going to pick up some yourself? I, I, I don't need uh, serums that could potentially grow me lips anytime soon. So I'm going to pass, James B. Well, I know you're thinking that, but you might change your mind after you hear a little bit about our second book today. Oh, and all right. Eddie, why don't you tell us the name of What If Volume 2, Issue 42? What If Spider-Man Never Lost His Four Extra Arms? That's right. And in this version, Eddie, Morbius dies after jumping off the boat, not the one that he has with Martine, the one that mm -hmm. when he goes on the freighter and he kills all the people. Yes. Um, so Spidey doesn't get the enzyme. Apparently, uh, Morbius's clothing is all blood soaked and a bunch of sharks um, eat him up. And it's kind of scary watching you get eaten by the sharks. Crazy. But the only thing that's scarier, did you see how they drew the lizard in 1989? He like It's like scary, like, ah, not scary, like bad. Like, it's it scary. Yeah, I yeah, no thank you. I I specifically remember this type of drawing and this is not the lizard that's my buddy. No, this guy's this guy's scary. So, uh Spider-Man um beats up the lizard though during the anger phase uh, and while he's doing it, he does get four jokes on the same page including a Sundance Kid reference which I was happy of because they're making 1970s references in the 1989 book because they know it's written in the 1970s, so kudos for them. Nice. Spidey goes to the X-Men for help, um, what I call the bargaining phase. And um, I'm glad to see that he figured out how to sew a six-armed costume. It probably took him a third the time as usual. <laughs> he, he has some problems with the X-Men, and, and there's a whole sequence there with uh, Xavier. Do you remember that? Yeah, they have a big talk about uh, how he can be helpful and embrace his arms as being part of who he is from this point on. Do you remember the word that they use referencing him? Um, a cripple, right? Yes, they call him a cripple. I think it's a bit of a stretch to consider the mutations make him similar to a cripple or a handicap, yeah. but they do it so so Professor Xavier can get the FDR Helen Keller references of great <laughs> cripples and people with disabilities. I'm thinking, okay, I mean, literally all the mutants 
All the X-Men are the cripples, apparently, too, but whatever. So Spider-Man... This, this cripple business, I know, it's like... <laughs> It's really insulting. I, I like. I understand why they say "cripple" because Charles Xavier is right there, and it's terrible. And then, and he's all like, "Oh, but oops, sorry, I forgot." It's like I don't want to be a cripple. Oops, sorry. Oh, you cripple! Oh, you're. Oh, I, I forgot. I forgot you're right there. Please accept my apology. And then, on the very last panel is this kid standing right in front of Spider-Man who doesn't have an arm, and I'm like. Stop bringing up the arms and the not arms. Yeah, they have a kid with like the mechanical hand. <laughs> yes, exactly. They have all these. Like, what are they doing in this issue? And like, all those people are crippled. Spider Man is not crippled. He is more powerful. Whatever. So, Spider Man, where he decides, uh, yeah, I'm going to go get a second opinion. Thanks. Because Xavier's like, we can't do anything for you. So, he goes to the Fantastic Four for help. And uh, he's in the depression phase here. And. He gets all upset about it, and he he runs into the thing, and he starts saying, like, don't you come at me with the what it's like to be a monster. But then they actually share a moment. Um, it's when he enters the, enters the reconstruction phase. What would you think of this sec- section here? Uh, with the thing? When the thing? I like how the thing is smoking a cigar when he walks in the room. That's my favorite part of it, actually. How about that questionable solution that Mr. Fantastic has for this process? I am really unhappy that Spider-Man gets some kind of mechanical device to put over his arms and make them invisible so no one can see them. Yes, listeners, Eddie described it correctly. He puts on essentially almost like a green screen equivalent of mechanical arms so he can walk around with his arms and nobody will notice them. Yeah. This is the this is was the most interesting part of this what if and I was really sad how it was solved because like had he not had this, what what happens to Spider-Man? Does he become like uh, like a, a recluse, you know, a recluse Recl- where he like is just out of there. He has to live kind of by himself and not be part of society. Or does he, does he go the other way entirely and say like, look, I've been, I've always been Spider-Man. I have this freaky mutation, you know, sorry, Aunt May. I hope you don't die. <laughs> well, the book concludes with him in the acceptance phase and it makes it sound like having six arms is better than two because they make a point of letting you know right away that, you know, you know, and this is a spoiler for people who are not quite with our books, but I think most people know Gwen Stacy, uh, you know, is going to die eventually. And he saves Gwen Stacy because he has the extra arms. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I, I just want to know, is it too obvious? That, couldn't you just have an operation to remove your extra arms? Uh, you know, I, I had not even considered that until you said that. And it seems very possible. Like, I, I think Peter, Peter could have turned out way better shape here this would have forced him to reveal himself he would have never had this dilemma of having a secret identity ever again and aunt you know he would have said sorry you know aunt may i'm this freak i guess whatever he wants to call himself but i'm going to go and have these arms removed uh that being said i mean he is spider-man can you just cut into spider-man with probably like mr fantastic could do it well i'm just letting you know that it turned out in this case that the extra arms was a good thing. So I know you were not as happy earlier with our sponsor, but something to <laughs> consider. And if you want to reach out to Eddie to let him know that he should reconsider, uh, Eddie, where would people send you an email? You can email me or James B. anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. Or you can message us on Twitter, too. This is Eddie, joined with James B. And remember, listeners, 
don't read issue 102 before you go to bed because it's scary. And don't look at the pictures of the lizard in the what if that's scary too. Goodbye. Bye. Do you see the cover of the what if? Did you look at the cover for a I second? I did. I was wondering, is this, do you feel like, I feel like he's carrying Thor and like no. a. No, but they're very strong. They have like sub submachine guns. They, I know. Well, G.I. Joe characters. This, this is like the drug dealing, you know, Miami Thor or something like that with the ponytail. Where was that fight again? <laughs> was that in this issue? <laughs> like, what are they selling me? <laughs> You pick up this issue, you're like, yeah, Spider-Man's going to fight these drug dealers. And then there's like little kids in wheelchairs and cripples and they're like waving at you. I didn't even think about it.